What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Smoking Tire Podcast. The Formula One racing season is going strong, and next up is the race in Monaco. So now is the time to get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can place their first bet of $5 or more, and if your bet loses, you get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state, you can experience the thrills of racing on the DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports app. Go full throttle till the checkered flag drops and compete for your share in over $100,000 in prizes. Draft your lineup of five drivers and one constructor, constructor to rack up points for top finishes, laps led, and more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So don't miss out on all the action this week at DraftKings. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code TIRE at sign up. New customers can place their first bet of $5 or more on the race. And if your bet loses, you get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's code TIRE at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Also brought to you today by SoFi. You know, with all of the investment jargon flying around, it can be really hard to figure out how to start investing. I should know because I am terrible at it. And the whole thing is made worse by the fact that the people who do know exactly what to do use big fancy words to make themselves sound smarter. They don't try to bring that down to your level for the beginner. So you can use basic words and basic steps to get your money working for you. And getting it right is easier now with SoFi, the first investing platform to offer stocks, ETFs, automated investing, and cryptocurrency too, all in one app. Uh, Zach and I both did it. It was very easy. It just took a few minutes. I had to share some personal information uh, and, and some disclosures. And then I was investing. I actually used SoFi um, to dabble a little bit in crypto. It's the only thing I use it for. I was just like, well, if I have to try this thing, I might as well like try it for the thing I don't invest in yet. I have like financial planners that help me with the traditional stuff and they try to teach me about it every time and I don't learn anything. I'm just like, <laughs> you do it. So with this one, I, uh, I did uh, get some crypto uh, and it was easy. It took it just took a few minutes. So whether you're eager to get started with investing or you already know the ropes and want to diversify, SoFi's got your back. There's no commissions on trading stocks and EFTs. There's no account fees. There's no hidden fees. Uh, you can use fractional shares that start as low as five bucks to buy brand name stocks, even if you're not sitting on a few grand. Uh, there's complimentary financial planners ready to help with questions, whether you're stuck or need help deciding what to do next. Uh, you can save for retirement with traditional Roth and SEP IRAs. Uh, man, there's so much to do. Uh, you can let SoFi's number one automated investing tool or robo-advisor take the stress out of managing a diversified portfolio. 
You can set goals, you can auto-rebalance quarterly with the no management fees, and you can, like I said, get into the world of crypto uh, alongside the rest of your investments. So, cut through the jargon and make investing easier with SoFi. Go to SoFi.com slash tire, S-O-F-I.com slash tire, and learn how you can win up to $1,000 in stock when you open an account. That's SOFI.com slash tire. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC, member FINRA SIPC. Right. How about home body work? Are you a professional? Some of you might be professional. I'm guessing most of you are not professionals. And we give a lot of professional advice on this show, some much more professional than others. But if you want your auto body work to look professional, you better use what the professionals use. Evercoat is the number one brand preferred by professionals. Evercoat Body Shop products are easy to use, whether you're a professional or DIYer. They have a variety of products. One, right for your project, it works great on steel, fiberglass, and other substrates. There's just three easy steps, prep, fill, and sand. Their perfect mix guide makes it easy to get the right ratio of filler and cream hardener. It dries in about 15 minutes. It sands up to 50% faster than the competition, giving you a flawless finish. Evercoat Body Shop takes the guesswork out of bodywork, so ask for it by name at Advance Auto Parts stores. And thanks to Evercoat Body Shop for sponsoring today's show. Last but certainly not least, we're brought to you by Masterworks. As I was saying uh, earlier, uh, actually for you guys it'll be later because I said it in the show, uh, Zach and I now own uh, part of a Banksy. And look, my, my dream car is a McLaren F1, but owning one is obviously just a dream. This thing is gonna be worth $20 million forever. So it, it is insane to think about billionaires who have like 10 of them, just sitting in a garage somewhere, using them as a store of wealth and an investment. And because they're minting new billionaires more often than ever, but these things stay super rare, it's the law of supply and demand. While I'll probably never own a McLaren F1, I can now get into something even more desirable, something that's more than doubled in value consistently, for the last 25 years, it's fueled by supply and demand and the dollars of the super rich, and we are talking about blue chip artwork. Zach and I now own 25 shares of a Banksy painting, and it was easy. It took a few minutes to sign up. It just was make an account, link my credit card. I went to masterworks.io. Use promo code TIRE to learn how Masterworks is changing the game, giving its 400,000 plus members unprecedented access and lowering costs to a thousandth of what billionaires are paying. Go to masterworks.art slash TST and or use promo code TIRE to ensure you priority access to their platform. See the important regulation A disclosures at masterworks.io slash CD. Very easy, very quick, and very streamlined. That's it. We own uh, that one right there, the uh, agency job. We own 25 shares of that, Zach. Uh, you can invest now, masterworks.art slash TST. Use code TIRE. Uh, what up, everybody? Solo show. It might be weird. I, I'm not used to like just talking at a camera for a couple of hours straight, so I may kind of like look down awkwardly. I don't have a, 
don't have a Zach to talk to. I haven't done a, show, a solo show in a very long time using, certainly never using this setup here. I have no backup, people. I'm in the studio. Um, I was alone. I was all by myself. No one was looking. I was thinking of you. Uh, so Zach's in Germany driving some cool Porsches. Apparently had quite the fucking flying adventure uh, getting there. Raise my chair a little bit. That's better. That's a better position. And uh, I've got some some things to talk about. I, I could have had a guest for this show, but, you know, since I got COVID a couple weeks ago, I kind of was like, I I'm really have been having trouble having conversations with people. Like, I can't, like, I, it's hard to, like, it's really been hard to focus on any conversation that's more than, like, 20 minutes long, which I really enjoyed my time with the Bremont guys last week, but it was actually, it was really tough for me to mentally um, do that and, and do, I mean, do other stuff, business and whatever. Like, I don't have COVID anymore, definitely. I've been tested a bunch and, like, definitely. But the, the lingering occasional headaches and the lingering... Um, sort of brain fog actually has been weird. Um, and it, and for someone whose job it is to talk, uh, it's become awfully difficult to talk. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, starting tomorrow, I've got um, eight days off. Uh, we're not gonna put out content during uh, Memorial Day uh, week. It's traditionally like a very shitty uh, content week anyway. So, um, no podcasts. So I'm, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to Uruguay with my dad, which is, if you've ever like, I'm sure you've heard of Uruguay. I'm sure you've thought about it for at some point in a geography class or something. Um, but if you ever really think about how far away, like it's way farther <laughs> than, than you think it's going to be, it's really far. It's like almost Patagonia. So, um, I'm going to go do some birding with my dad. Uh, for eight days, and hopefully, I don't have to do too much talking. Um, and hopefully, I can uh, recover from this brain fog that has made it really difficult to like interview people. Um, but here we are. So anyway, that's that explains why I'm by myself today and not forcing uh, a guest show. But I've also got like a lot to talk about. Um, so I figured I would do some of that and then get to some of your questions. Um, I want to start with um, the New York Times uh, Tesla documentary. It's called Elon Musk's Crash Course, uh, which I uh, I watched recently. Uh, I watched it last week, and you know, for those of us who've been talking about this stuff and who've known about it, it's it pretty much explains at a, at a top level. Uh, you know, it's an hour and fifteen minutes. There's only it's a very complicated issue: self-driving cars, the truth, and the bullshit um, surrounding them. And so, it's um, it's been uh, it was a pretty good top-level documentary for the average viewer. I watched it with my wife and two friends, and everybody at the end of it came to the same conclusion of like, "Wow, this guy just basically said." That this problem was solved and it wasn't remotely solved. I mean, not even, not even close. Um, they do a pretty good job of having engineers who worked on the software explain uh, Elon Musk's tendency to uh, just say that they could do things without 
really having any idea how difficult of a problem it actually was and then refusing to walk it back once he presumably realized and started taking money and started selling something called full self-driving. Um, they did a good job of having, uh, of showing uh, why this stuff is so dangerous with the, the Joshua Brown crash, the Walter Wang crash, um, how easy it is to abuse these systems, how easy these systems are, how they're almost designed for abuse, and how um, when they get just good enough that you start to trust them a little bit, um, you very, very quickly can lose uh, your ability to, to pay attention to things the way you would as a, a regular driver and and um, and also the misleading uh, statistics that that Tesla cherry-picked in order to try and demonstrate that their system was actually safer um, which it is not I mean they 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 use some very misleading data and and folks like uh, Mahmoud Hikmet on Twitter and Ed Niedermeyer have really thoroughly debunked this kind of stuff and pointed out where the data is misleading, uh, they do a good top line analysis. The only, the only real, uh, you know, negative kind of downsides to the, the the documentary were, they have this woman Kim Poquette on, uh, who repeatedly, who who is someone who bought the FSD beta, got the city streets upgrade, and is now like a. Tesla boosting content creator and she either doesn't believe and is lying or does believe truly that she is doing testing that what she is doing by using this feature is testing and I repeatedly get um, people on Twitter and I see other people that don't really understand the concept of testing and what it is and what it is not. And to be very clear, what people who have access to the full self-driving beta are doing is using it, for better or worse, and social influencing. They are not testing. And where the documentary really fell short is by letting this woman act like she was a development driver when she is not. She is a social media influencer. Um, as Mahmoud said in an amazing video called RFSD uh, Users Testing, um, he pointed out specific ways in which they are not testing. There are no scientific protocols. There's no operational d domain. There's no, um, there's no circle of communication with engineers. The car fucks up and then you just go back to you hit a little thing on the screen, but there's you don't um, th there's no okay go back and do it again okay we've changed something go back and do it again there's no th you're, they don't go back to the previous thing and then work forwards from there it is not testing um, you're mainly social media influencing by making videos and talking about it on social media testing is when. Uh, engineers monitor the system, make very detailed notes, are in constant communication, and when there's a failure, they go back to the previous level of 
of, of where they were at in the testing protocol. And they incrementally move forward from there, running the same scenarios over and over and over and making improvements along the way. Without a, a communication loop between the user and the engineer, and also more importantly, testing means you're operating under corporate insurance, you have a liability policy, you're an employee of a company, things like that. Um, social media influencing is not that. And so I really think the New York Times missed an opportunity to accurately point out that this woman is claiming that she is testing repeatedly in this documentary, and they let her say this without pointing out anywhere that that's not what she's doing. She's not testing. She's, she's an influencer. And she may be a true believer. I don't think she's necessarily lying. I think she probably thinks she's testing, but she's not. And no one has told her that she's not. Um, and that's a problem. Um, they do uh, accurately, they, they top line it. They don't get detailed, but they point out in the documentary uh, a fallacy of, of Tesla that they're some kind of a data company and that all their cars are going around in the world mapping, that they're mapping uh, the, the video feeds are all going back and they're all collecting data all the time. And so they will have better maps because all of these cars are out mapping. And one of the engineers at Tesla very accurately points out, not in great detail, you almost had to know what to look for. But they, he says that it is not possible, given Tesla's capabilities, to actually collect all that data. And as someone who makes videos for a living, I go out, I make videos, I then come back to my computer and dump the data onto the computer to, to process those videos. And the footage, it's not even that much footage. Um, it's maybe, it's, it's two cameras, you know, two cameras and like, let's just look, here's my computer. Let's just look at how big the two cameras, um, from the 9-11 GTS footage in 4K. So we got, we got three, three total cameras uh, in car, the picture-in-picture, the picture, and then some drive-bys. That is 73 gigabytes of data. So Teslas have eight cameras. Imagine, and they have like a 4G LTE signal. So imagine the amount of data usage it would require to get all that data back to Tesla and then to process it on, this is, this is one car in like 20 minutes is 73 gigs. An engineer in the documentary accurately pointed out that Tesla does not have the hardware or the software or the bandwidth capability to process all that data. Um, they can go into the car if there's a crash and look at logs. They can look at certain little bits of data, but they are certainly not out there like ants mapping the world. So a lot of that, this sort of false valuation that's not based on how many cars they're selling that makes them the most valuable car company in the world, it's based on the false belief that these cars are out testing, air quotes, and mapping air quotes. And the fact is they're really doing neither. They sold an unfinished product to customers because Elon said that the, the talked out of turn and said they could, and they had to give them something. Um, they have all these little implications that the cars can do things they can't.
They talk about the very famous paint it black video and that the car had to run laps all day, including one where it crashed in order to get a, quote, perfect autonomous uh, lap. And even then the video was edited. It, um, it does a good job, this documentary, of giving a top line um, explanation of why privately owned, fully autonomous cars are nowhere near close to done and certainly why uh, Tesla is nowhere near doing it now or at the certainly at the part where Elon said robo-taxis or any of that. It's very clear that he just goes up on stage and just says shit. And dumb people, not necessarily dumb people, people who want to believe, people who think that this guy is somehow some kind of genius in something other than marketing. He is a marketing genius. But he, whenever he wades into areas of expertise that are not marketing, he just says shit. And it's usually not true. <laughs> and people died, have died, and will continue to die. And the cars will crash into um, parked emergency vehicles. Um, and so this documentary is uh, it's by FX. I believe I watched it on Hulu. There's a lot of fucking commercials. It must be very popular because they put they put commercials up the ass in this thing. It's an hour and 20 minutes long, and it probably took us two and a half hours to watch the fucking thing. Um, and, th and they do leave, you know, it's in an hour and 20 minutes, you're not going to get everything. But they get, uh, they get a lot. Um, and they've got, you know, engineers who worked on the, the project and became disillusioned and moved on because they realized Elon would just get up there and say something. And the engineers would be like, but but that's we can't that's not real. We can't do that. And how uncritically the media will report announcements, air quotes, as facts. Elon Musk unveils humanoid robot. Well, no, he didn't. Elon Musk unveils Tesla Roadster. They, they never go back and say, oh, by the way, it's been five years and this thing still doesn't exist. And they took money for it. Um, so the, 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 the circus act that is Tesla, um, it's obvious they have lots of talented engineers working there. It's obvious. And it's obvious that what they did between 2012 and 2014 with the Model S was revolutionary and deserves credit, not only for being a fast, attractive, um, electric car that now people think electric cars are cool. Great. Give them credit for that. But they clearly didn't have a follow-up. The Model X, Model 3, and Model Y are just Model S's in different packaging. There's nothing new in any of those cars. The Cybertruck is another thing where he just got up there and said some shit. It's extremely unclear whether they can actually build that. Maybe they can, but they're certainly following up the pronouncement with the engineering of maybe they can, maybe they can't. But at the time he announced it, I assure you they couldn't. Um, and the documentary backs stuff like that up, as well as everything we've read, if you've had your eyes open. Um, and most importantly, the convincing people that self-driving privately owned cars are right around the corner without LIDAR, without radar, camera only, is just complete horseshit. I mean, it's complete horseshit. And anyone who has paid into it, they've just taken your money. I mean, you just gave them 
It's not even a loan. You don't get it back. It's like an interest. It's not even an interest-free loan. It's a gift. You gave them $10,000 or $12,000 for something that straight up does not do anything like they say it does. Um, and they use deeply misleading data to imply that it is safer than um, other ADAS level two systems. In my experience, um, they're, they're on, on freeways, on divided highways, uh, single lane travel. It is a good level two system. It's not the only good level two system, but, but that's what it is. But the double speak um, where you know they tell regulators and the disclaimers it's one thing and then they imply all kinds of other stuff and they allow their influencers to say a bunch of shit that isn't true without correcting them. And they're not, by the way, I'm going to get to another in instance of this that has nothing to do with Tesla in a second. But, but yeah, I mean, the, it's, if, if you don't want to read every little bit of scientific literature, if you don't want to follow uh, Mahmoud or, or Ed Niedermeyer on Twitter, and you want a top-line analysis of, is this full self-driving thing total bullshit? I recommend this documentary. It's called Elon Musk's Crash Course, and it's on... Um, FX uh, or Hulu, if you've got, um, if you've got that. So I thought it was good. It wasn't perfect, um, and I just explained why. But it was pretty good. Uh, so recommend that. Now another instance where a car company will allow influencers to say the wrong thing. I just went to Las Vegas to uh, Pahrump specifically to drive the new Audi RS3, and drive impressions are embargoed until June first. So I can't tell you how it drives. Um, but I'm going to tell you about a feature on the car that I can talk about and what can go wrong in, in PR and marketing. So the Audi RS3, it's, it's got this awesome five cylinder engine. Um, it's got the seven speed, uh, dual clutch. It's very, very tough. And it's got this new torques RS torque split active differential in the rear that rather than brake vectoring, it can torque vector, it can overdrive 100% of the power to one side or the other. Okay, super cool. It's neat. It's a neat thing. Good technology. Very, very cool piece of technology. It allows the car to behave very much like a rear wheel drive car. So one of the exercises that we did, um, we did racetrack, we did street driving, and we did this night drifting. Now, I was told okay, by three different people. One was a product planner, one was their test driver, and one was an engineer. That this, the RS3 can send 100% of the power to the rear wheels. It has this, like a drift mode, it's called, uh, what's it called, hang on. It's called like RS rear torque mode. RS torque rear, that's what it's called. And so I was told that you could send, that the car would basically be a rear wheel drive car. It wouldn't de decouple the front wheels like the E63 and the M5 did, but it's basically that, okay? And when you drive the car, and I don't want to give too much away, about, but they had us do a fairly tight drift course, and I got like four runs through it, and I didn't do the greatest driving I've ever done, but, but in a lot, a lot of ways, this car did operate like a rear-wheel drive car. Power oversteer. Donuts, 
and not like Subaru Axis spins, like power oversteer donuts transitions through drifts from one side to the other. Okay. I put this video on Instagram, just a little video of the, the night drifting. And a couple people said, that's not rear drive mode. You, it, it only will send 50% of the power to the rear wheels. And I don't, I'm not going to go to die on a hill for something an engineer told me, but that's what they told me there. They said, this is, I, and I went to them and I showed them the comments and they said, that's, that comment is wrong. This is rear wheel drive mode. And it's, it's hundred percent of the power of the rear. I said, Are you sure? hundred percent of the power of the rear. I then commented that, that this is what they said. The person, the commenter on Instagram, and we can, we can go to that. I can pull that up if we want. Here's the, here's the post. Oops, sorry. Here's the post and I'll play the video. And you can see, you can, you know, I mean, it's not a great video. It was shot at night in bad lighting, but you can, you can see where he got, it's, he's, he's drifting, um, rear drive pretty much. And then he's going to do a transition here where he's got a, a kind of an open slide tightens. And then here he transitions from left back to right. And there's there. So there is a transition and it, it really behaves like a rear wheel drive car. Okay. So the commenters said, um, and I don't know why it's not showing the comments here. That's kind of interesting. I don't know. I don't know why it's view comments. Is that it's not showing the comments? Don't really know why it's not showing the comments, but take my word for it. I went back and I showed the 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 thing, and I said, "This is what they said." And the, and the guy said, "They're lying to you." A a European car magazine has debunked this, and it's only fifty percent to the to the rear. Okay, I go back to the engineers again, and I say, "Hey, it's." Uh, they, this, this, a car magazine in Europe said it's only 50% of the rear. And they said, no, they're incorrect. They're talking about the previous model. This one does 100% to the rear. And I go, you are certain that it's 100% to the rear. And they even, they said, yes, I'm certain. And, and they even said something to the effect of why would we, it would be in our, not our best interest to tell you uh, the wrong thing here. Why would we, why would we do that? Fine. I drive home the next day, today, that was yesterday. Today, uh, I got an email from them <laughs> and I will open up my, my email and I will, I'm just going to read you the email because it's, it's, uh, it's wild. So, Hey Matt, Nice meeting you this week. I wanted to provide a little more clarification after speaking with our colleagues in Germany regarding the capabilities of the RS torque splitter. From Germany, 100% of the power at the rear axle can be sent to either wheel and parentheses under normal conditions, no black ice, etc. up to 50% of the engine's power can be sent to the rear axle. So actually, the, the commenter was right. Car Magazine in, in England was right, and the Audi people on site whose job it was to talk to journalists and explain this technology were wrong. I'm not an engineer, right? I spoke with Jason Fenske of Engineering Explained yesterday. I'm not an engineer. He's an engineer. And we went back and forth, and I said, here's what I was told, and here's what the car felt. And 
So, but I'm not an engineer. I don't have the engineering background to call people out or, or question. When, an, when three different experts are on site, it's their job to tell me how a car works. I don't really have a choice but to believe them unless someone like Jason Fenske can, can um, call it out. Now, this is from the press release. Um, the ultimate in driving dynamics, uh, blah, 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 RS3 specific, RS specific torque rear mode. Uh, in dynamic mode, all the components are configured for a sporty ride. Uh, the driver feels this in responsive steering and agile handling, dynamic driving, uh, etc. This mode tends to transmit as much torque as possible to the rear axle. Uh, shorter gear shifts, acceleration even sportier. In RS torque rear mode, it enables controlled drifts and sporty driving with lateral dynamics. Spe it is specifically designed for closed roads. The highly rear-heavy distribution of the power leads to an oversteering behavior with... Here's where you have to listen. With up to 100% of the drive torque directed to the rear ending up at the wheel on the outside of the curve, up to a maximum of 1750 newton meters. Okay? Did you get that? Here's the, here's the words. Highly heavy, highly rear heavy distribution of the engine power leads to oversteering behavior with up to 100% of the drive torque directed to the rear ending up at the wheel on the outside of the curve. Without commas there, with it's 100% of the torque that is directed to the rear. It never says only 50% of the torque can be directed to the rear. So you see what I'm saying? It's it's written in a way that is, 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 I believe, intentionally deceptive. They could say 50% of the torque to the rear and 100% of that torque to one wheel, but they don't. They say up to 100% of the torque directed to the rear ending up at the wheel on the outside. So unless you are looking for it, unless you are intentionally trying to figure out their wordplay, it's designed specific. And remember, I parroted them, was called out on Instagram, went back to them, parroted them again, was called out again, and then went back to confirm at like a sit down. Like, guys, you need to make this clear. And they told me the wrong thing again. It wasn't until the next day. Now, think about, how, and it wasn't until they talked to Germany. So think about why that is designed the way it is. That Not the, the system. The system, spoiler alert, the system, frankly, when you use it, it feels like a rear-wheel drive car. I mean, it, it really does. It, it slides much like a rear-wheel drive car. Certainly much better than a Golf R or a Focus RS, um, which it, it allows you to modulate the throttle. It allows you to transition from one slide to the other. It's a very cool system. But the fact is, I confirmed multiple times, and I was given wrong information multiple times. Um, think about how many people wouldn't go through the effort of finding this out 
and would then go to parrot the wrong information, allow the incorrect message to be spread to Audi's benefit, and then never having to issue a correction um, or really be clear about it. It was shockingly deceptive. Um, and it was kind of an aha moment where, where now I have to be a little more like Jason um, and read every word, not for what it says, but for what it omits and how. Um, that's a very sneaky bit of deceptive marketing, not aimed at the general public, aimed at journalists who then will probably uncritically parrot it to their audiences, which I would have. Um, and um, so anyway, look, uh, we're going to talk about the RS3 more next week. I have a, I have a review video. I put up my, my embargo cheating. It's not just the noise. It's just the track. I ran some laps of the track with gauges and, and the tele telemetry so you can see G-forces. You can see the shifts. You can hear the engine. You can see how it is at, at the, on grip. And that video is up now on the YouTube channel. Go check it out. And, and, and um, it's, a, it's a really neat car. But you're not doing yourselves any favors, corporate folks, um, by being by wording it that way. It's just deceptive. It's silly. It's it doesn't help you. And now I got to be the guy who doesn't trust people anymore because the guy who called out it out in the comments, he was right. The guy in Car Magazine, he was right. Um, and I didn't necessarily. Uh, defend Audi beyond saying, well, this is, I'm standing here and this is what they're saying. But as it turns out, what they were saying was fucking wrong, <laughs> which sucks. I mean, I'm in a press launch. It's my job to get this kind of shit right. So um, if you work for an OEM, don't, don't, don't write things in fucked up ways like that, that, that allow for such a miss, especially like that that RS torque splitting diff, like that's like kind of the thing. Like that's like the thing with this car. It's like, well, what's new from last generation? The, the engine is is upgraded a little bit, but it's basically the same. Like the the body is upgraded a little bit, but the the chassis is is mostly the same. Um, you know, they've done some stuff here and there, but it's not like it's a all 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 new product. But what's new is this thing, and it, they've allowed it to to be misunderstood by everybody. I didn't have this conversation in front of all the journalists. This was just me. So anyone else who didn't take the time to follow up and ask about this stuff is probably going to print, you know, look, look at everybody else's stories. It's probably, they're all probably going to say a hundred percent to the rear because it's easy, easy. And in fact, I think designed to be misread, uh, that way. So that's that. Um, I also drove the 911 GTS, uh, which we talked to about, about a bit on the last cruise show, but I drove it to, to Vegas and back. If you got to get up at six in the morning and drive to Spring Mountain, not a lot of better choices out there than 911 GTS, I assure you. I got to Spring Mountain from my house in Venice in under four hours, and I got back in under four hours. I was going. And to get to Spring Mountain, you basically take freeway 
to Baker, and I've talked about Baker a lot because it's A, where Best Gyro USA is, and B, it's where I charged the Ford and had all those issues charging the Ford. But to get to Pahrump, you turn off the highway at Baker, and then you drive into the desert on these two lanes. There's nobody out. It's like right on the edge of Death Valley. And allegedly, in a fast car, you could sustain 130 to 140 miles an hour. And there's nobody around to have a problem with this. So uh, in a quick car, you can just rip across the desert. Um, I'm really impressed at the the 911 GTS just in general. Um, I probably wouldn't get a GTS convertible um, because the things that the GTS does are not accentuated by the fact that it's a convertible. Like a GTS coupe is kind of like a GT3 light. It's like if you want that that extra little bit of sport, uh, but you're not going to be driving on the track, GTS Coupe is great. But the compromises that you get from the convertible, the extra weight, the lack of rigidity, I mean, it's still pretty rigid. By convertible standards, a 911 convertible is very, very rigid. But compared to the Coupe, um, I wouldn't get the convertible, but then the stuff that makes it a GTS, the sport suspension, the turbo wheels, um, center locking, um, sports seats plus, you know, stuff like that. I wouldn't, I, I had a, a 992 Carrera S manual convertible, which was so great as a convertible. That was fantastic. I wouldn't get the GTS as a convertible. I'd get a GTS coupe. And I wouldn't get the target either because the target just feels it feels really heavy um, And it's okay if you want a, a daily driver road tripper, that's fine But I wouldn't spend the extra money for the GTS stuff only to have to lug around the weight of a of the target um, but um, despite that, you know the uh, The convertible 911 is great. The 911 GTS is great. I probably wouldn't get them together um, it starts to get expensive, and the things that convertible does well and the things that GTS do does well are not complementary to each other, uh, really. Um, but it 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 drives great. Um, it's it was a little on on the the, the whoopy uh, bumpy stuff in the desert. It was a little firm for me, even in the comfort mode. So if I really wanted to 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 go cross country in a 911, probably an S. Uh, would do it 95% of the time you can't use the difference between a GTS and a turbo um, although I will say in the tight corners the turbo does feel noticeably sharper um, and of course the extra 180 horsepower does or 170 horsepower um, you know in a straight line it's it's monstrously fast uh, monstrously um, but um, I put way too many miles on that car. I put I put 900 miles on the GTS convertible. I didn't even look if there was a mileage restriction. I I don't think there is with 911s. I think I think I can put as many miles as I want to on them, but um I mean it's great. It's 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 a great car, but I would probably split my GTSness and my cabrioletness. Um little update on the Mach-E. Um they are doing hard updates on the modules. There's like how many? There's a bunch of modules, and they needed hard updates. I'm told that this will bring my Mach E 
to the same standard that the 2022s are, which means not having the problems um, that my early 2021. Apparently, all the cars with problems are first half of 2021 cars. The new cars have like no problems, the 22s. So it's it's at the dealer getting these hard updates. They can't be done over the air. I don't know. We'll see. Um, it's it's apparently it takes like hours to update these things. This guy's been updating shit since Saturday, and they're still. Up. I'm supposed to go pick up the car this afternoon, but they've been they've been updating and updating and updating and updating and updating and like. It wasn't that fucked up, guys. Like I don't know what was going on. It was it was not that fucked up. I don't know why it needed that many updates, but all right. And you guys will be happy to know that I went out and got a new motorcycle helmet today. Uh, my smelly hockey bag helmet is now uh, sealed up and on the shelf at WCCS, um, where it will never have to go on my head again. My wife will be very thrilled. I got the new version of my old helmet. I got the showy showy. I don't know how to, how do you pronounce showy? Shoey? S-H-O-E-I? I got the 1400. My last one was the 1200. Fucking really comfortable helmet. A great helmet. And I forgot, you know, uh, like a new shoe. When you put a, a new, nice, a new New Balance or Merrill hiking boot or a new really high quality shoe, maybe even a Yeezy, put that shit on, you go, oh my God, it's so, so soft. I feel so nice. And that's how I feel about my new helmet. But I got a new pair of gloves, too, but I'm very excited. And I think because I'm not filming motorcycles anymore, it was really the filming them that made me my head that sweaty. And that my other helmet was fine until I funked it all up with the, uh, the sweatiness of filming. It was fucking gross. So I'm very excited about my new helmet. It's got a really neat color scheme, too. I like I don't like a I really like to be visible. I don't care if I look like a dork. Uh, I wear like a like a sport bike helmet on my Vespa. Like I don't wear like one of those cool like ping pong ball helmets. Like I wear like the kind of helmet you'd wear riding a Jixer, and I wear a coat like a a, um, a padded, you know, like a high visibility. It's like white padded jacket and gloves. Uh, even when I'm just on my Vespa, I don't wear I don't wear the full pants or the boots. I wear the boots on on a real motorcycle, but but um. I like visibility. I want you to see my ass. So my Vespa's bright green and my helmet is like white and red, you know, graphics uh, with like some reflective colors on it. And my jacket has reflectiveness on it. And uh, so I'll be visible at night. That's what I want. I want to not get hit uh, by someone at night. This is my friend Amir, dude. Dude is like, he was, he was riding at a night riding a black motorcycle with a black jacket and a black helmet and he was just sitting at a light and and not that this might I, this may or may not have changed anything but like he was hit rear-ended um from from rear-ended from behind by a car uh that just drove like under him and he like tumbled backwards over the car he got fucked up oh man he needed surgeries and skin grafts and he's okay now but I mean, it was it was really bad, and so um, not that it necessarily this it was like this guy's like fourth DUI in a BMW 5 Series. Like he's out on bail, that guy. But like he he I don't know something bad. I hope I hope something terrible happens to that person. Honestly, that person that's fucked up. And uh, but anyway, the the point is, it, had he been like super visible, m maybe it wouldn't have happened. 
And so I, uh, uh, anyway, I, uh, I got a really bright ass helmet. I ride a bright ass Vespa. It's fucking green, like lime sparkly green. And I wear a white jacket. And uh, I like to be as uh, as visible as possible on my on my uh, motorcycles. Um, so anyway, that's uh, that's kind of what I've got uh, what I've got to say to you at this particular juncture. That's what's going on in my life, and hopefully, I have some stories from Uruguay when I get back. Uh, but for now, let's get to the Patreon. Oh, boy. What's happening here? Uh, there we go. The Patreon page. Uh, of course, if you want to ask us questions uh, on the show, if you want access to the live stream, if you want to get the show early uh, before waiting, not waiting until uh, Tuesday, Thursday, same day or maybe next day from when it's recorded, ad-free listening experience. Of course, patreon.com slash the smoking tire podcast. We've got tiers at all uh, price points, the maximum of $10 a month. Um, I feel like we should make a fucking more expensive tier just to have it. I'm, are, I've been listening to Are You Garbage? They got a $50 a month tier. I don't even think they give you anything. A bunch of you guys have been listening to Are You Garbage. I, I'm, I really want to get those guys on the show. They're fucking hilarious. Um, but uh, this particular show, uh, for the patrons, it, it may be an extra day uh, late going up because Zach will have to edit it in Germany and upload it from a German hotel. So uh, there's a global delay uh, there, but that's not my fault. We are doing the best we can for you. Right. Oh, no, I just refreshed. Wait. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Here we go. There's the thing. Sorry, guys. I'm doing it, doing it myself. First time. First time ever. Got 31 questions. I well, we only had we only had like uh, 10 at the start of the show. Um, here we go. Lucas Taratus. Did I see the 348 Spider that went for 120k on Bring a Trailer? Uh, let's. I hadn't. It went for 119k. That so the 348 is an interesting car. Uh, in my opinion underappreciated. I was wondering when they were going to uh, pop. And let's see what we've got. It's a 26,000 mile 94 Spider, red tan. 26,000 is reasonably low for a 348. A lot of these cars have miles on them. 94 is the best year. They only made a Spider in 94. Um, and this one seems like it's got, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, engine out service, very recent. Timing belt, uh, replacing all the stuff you know. Partial service records. Excellent clean interior. Doesn't look sticky at all. This is a really clean car. And 120K is a, is a very fair price. No accidents. Three previous owners. Um, uh, in my opinion, 120K is a very fair price for a 26,000 mile uh, 348 Spider from 94. One, remember, one year only. Um, and 93s, 94s, late 93s and 94s are much better than previous ones. And this one's got that that recent engine out service. So that's that's like a, probably a plus 10, uh, maybe even more uh, right there. It's got all the right stuff. Brand new tires are one year old. 
brake fluid, brand new. I mean, this is a ready-to-drive car, and 348s honestly have been too cheap for too long. They're very pretty, uh, and the later cars drive really good. So I'm not surprised at all by that result. I think that is uh, good money. Cody Williams says, how many cars is too many cars? Uh, I just got confirmation on my 718 Spider, which is the fourth car for two people. Two Cayennes as daily drivers and a Carrera T as the third. I work from home, and my wife works a mile away from our house. I can justify usage of all all four, but it feels like a whole lot of cars. But it, okay, first off, if if one of you has work from home and the other of you work a mile away, you don't need two daily drivers. You don't. One of those Cayennes would be plenty. Um, my wife works from home. I work here at the shop at Westside Collector Car Storage, five miles from my home. And my wife and I share one daily driver. Granted, I have press cars, yes. But even when I don't, even even when I'm driving press cars, the Mach-E is parked in the garage, like, so often. Like, it just sits there a lot. Like, between the two of us, we didn't even hit 10,000 miles this year. Between two people. So... How many? Too many cars is more cars than you can drive, honestly. If cars just sit, then that's too many cars. If you're going to use two Cayennes and two sports cars, then then have two Cayennes and two sports cars. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna shit on you if you can afford it. Go ahead. But in my opinion, if your wife works a mile away from the house, on nice days, that's bicycle, walking, or e-bike territory. And uh, you could easily share a daily driver without a problem. So, you know, that's that's my opinion. And yes, Cody does admit this is a first world problem. But I think it's a good question for whether the cars are cheap or expensive. How many is too many? The answer is more than you can drive. When it, when it costs you money and it costs you time and it costs you resources to deal with the cars as opposed to enjoy the cars, um, that's too many. I might have too many. I don't really get to drive my cars as much as I can. I always seem to have one in service. <laughs> um, but uh, if I was you, Cody, I would share a daily driver with the wife. Um, I, maybe you live somewhere where it snows, but but I think two, one person working from home, one person a mile away, that's, that's well within the range of sharing a car. Uh, C. Brooks wants to know where I can get a WCCS mug. We don't sell them. We got we had some promotional ones we made for our staff and our members, but we don't we don't. In order for us to sell stuff like that, we'd have to get a retail seller's permit, which has annual fees associated with it, and collect sales tax and stuff like that. And we wouldn't sell enough stuff that it's worth doing. I don't need to open a store. Um, Maybe when we open our second shop and have twice as many members and we start having events, cars and coffees and stuff like that, maybe then it will be worthwhile to um, become a a retail uh, outfit, but not so far. I am going to become a car dealer. I'm taking the test on June 14th. Westside Collector Car Storage will be will be a whole a, a car wholesaler, so that may help our clients out uh, a little bit. Uh, Bud215, in your opinion, is infotainment going to negatively affect an otherwise great car in the future? Is it happening now? I find myself passing on cars with older systems, and I'd rather have a radio with Bluetooth. Um, 
You know, in some cases it can. Um, some cases where a car came with a basic system and then there was an upgrade for nav, the nav can somehow negatively affect cars. It also might spawn some innovation. Um, there's a, a thing that just came out for my E46 M3 that allows you to connect an iPod, uh, uh, iPhone uh, to the screen and it will actually display it's not full CarPlay, but it will like display your podcast or whatever you're streaming or your phone call on the screen. It integrates it. Um, so, so if it's a popular car that has an enthusiast following, there may be uh, innovations that allow you to connect your phone. Um, in some cases, like Zach got a full E46 BMW replacement stereo that came with like a dash bezel that looks just like the BMW one, but it is actually CarPlay. Uh, and so he had to take apart like half the dash to install it, but it does uh, work. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you can't upgrade it, you know, especially these cars where everything goes through the screen, you may have trouble. I mean, we've got, we're getting into the disposability of cars. Um, and someone, I forget who just wrote a great article about about how the user is paying the price for manufacturers cheapening their cars by having everything go through a screen. Um, it's it's it it feels fancy to a lot of people to have a big tablet screen, but the fact is, it's cheaper to design and manufacture and use that for the OEM than it is to um, have buttons. And buttons are better in a lot of fucking ways. I mean, way in a lot of ways. Um, Richard H says, "How does the driving experience of the Jaguar I-Pace compare to the latest crop of EVs?" I mean, it's kind of the same. You know, I haven't driven one in a while. I have a review of one, but like, it's an EV. It's got electric steering. It's got electric power band. Um, there have been no amazing changes uh, to EV powertrains since the iPace came out. It's 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 an EV. Um, so it may not charge as fast as a Lucid or a Taycan, um, and it has the older Jaguar infotainment system, but it's an EV. It's a it's a it's it's a fast and a straight line. It has regenerative braking and and it has electric steering and feels like a an appliance. Um, I see them around. They're they're good looking. Uh, they're good looking, and I um, I wouldn't um, necessarily count one out. I don't know if they've had an update. I don't know if they've got a new infotainment update. But um, yeah, I mean it's an it's the problem is you know all EVs are really converging on kind of the same. I said it in the EQS, there's very subtle differences. And honestly, it was so long ago and there have been so many cars since, I'd have to go back and watch my own video to tell you how it drives. But I don't, nothing stands out to separate it in terms dynamically from anything else. I'm sorry, I don't have a better answer. But, you know, when people ask me about cars that I drove like years ago, when I want to give a real answer, I literally go and watch my own video because I, I just I drive too many cars and I, I can't always keep that stuff straight like years later. Uh, Elliot says, what is my approach for slow drivers in the left lane? Uh, flash your high beams, honk, pass in the left or just wait. I mean, honestly, if we're talking about the freeway, then normally I wait. Uh, and if they don't move, maybe a flash or two. Uh, I try not to be too much of a dick about it. If I pass... If there's an opening, I will pass them on the right, even though you're not supposed to. Um, 
I mean, I don't know how I would pass on the left if they're in the left lane. If, if they mean, if Elliot means a shoulder pass, I'm not doing that. Um, you know, I just pick a better lane. I try not to overmaneuver when I drive. I see there's a lot of people do a lot of weaving and try to overmaneuver, and I found sometime in my early 30s that that I could, in most cases, get to the same place at the same time by kind of, you know, if I if someone's going really slow, I'll maneuver, but. But typically, I just kind of, um, you know, wait it out uh, and and move when it's safe, and I'm not being a total dick. If if I got mad at every single person that hogged the left lane, I wouldn't be able to drive in California. Hmm. We're not taught proper lane etiquette here. We don't care about it. Americans' priorities with driving is I don't want to drive behind another car. That's literally what they don't. They want to see further down the road. They don't want to sit behind a car. And in theory, I understand the mentality. But the fact is, if that car in that slower lane, the right lane, is going the speed you want to go, go behind the fucking car. Don't go next to the car so that you can see ahead of you, but then go the same speed as that car. Too many people do that. And I understand why you want to see. I I get it. You want to see. You want to know what's ahead. You don't want to feel like you're stuck behind somebody. But truth is, if you're going that speed, go in that fucking lane. Um, Chappie has been spending a lot of time on Braymont's website, uh, liking the Arrow and ALT1ZT. Which ones have you got? Uh, I have an H4 Hercules, which I really like, and I have the World Timer which is the ALT1WT, and then Zach has the ALT1 Chronograph. I forget the the, the names of, of that one. Um, but they make a excellent product, very tough. If you if you wear your watches in tough environments, you beat, beat the shit out of your watches, they make tough-ass fucking watches. Um, and I, I, I really, I like them. I liked hanging out with those guys a lot, and now that I know their story more uh, from hanging out with them. Now I want to fucking buy more of their watches. Uh, Matt says, uh, as you've driven the RS3, what is the future for their awesome five-cylinder turbo engine, and why doesn't Audi put it into more of their cars? Um, I mean, why don't they put it into more of their cars? I don't know what other cars they put it in. I mean, they put it in their smaller cars, where that use a transverse engine configuration. Um, I think the reason they don't put it in bigger cars is because you got to rev it to get power. It makes like no power below 4,000. That car makes power between four and 7,000 RPM and not really below four. And so you wouldn't want a, um, a bigger, heavier car to have that kind of engine where you have to rev it out all the time. I mean, the RS3 is frankly their sportiest product. I mean, other than the R8, obviously, um, the R8, the RS3 is the sportiest product, and 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 that has it. Um, in Europe, there's an RSQ3. It's a small crossover that also gets that engine. But I don't. Uh, frankly, there isn't another car that Audi makes that I would want to have that engine. Um, uh, it's a great engine, and it works really well for that car. Uh, and if and the TT RS also is great, and it works really well for that car. But it, the fact is that engine is a truly a transverse layout engine, and and the MQB platform stuff is the only are the only cars that Audi's got where they use a transverse uh, configuration. Um, at the six cylinders, 
make more effortless torque when the car gets bigger, heavier, and more luxurious. Uh, you don't you don't you don't want to rev a car like that all the way out. You want it to make more effortless torque. Andrew wants to know if the YouTuber face has helped. It does. I don't like doing the YouTuber face. It's silly. It's dumb. Um, but but it's um, yeah. God, it's frustrating. It's so frustrating. How much? Um, how much? Uh, 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 yeah. How much it helps? It helps a lot. Like over like a hundred and thirty percent improvement. It's ridiculous. Uh, HUD, I'm sorry I can't help you. Uh, he wants to, New York City uh, places to eat. Uh, dude, I haven't lived in New York City since 2006. Uh, I, 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 when I go back to New York, I visit my parents in Connecticut. I, I don't spend hardly any time in New York City, so I, I couldn't tell you where the great places are to eat. Uh, Budokan, if, uh, one, I'll go tell you, tell you Budokan. If Budokan is still still kicking, uh, it's in the meatpacking district. That place rules. Uh, Tim McLaren uh, wants to know what's in my guitar collection. I play guitar badly. Um, I, uh, I I am not very good at guitar. I noodle is pretty much all, all I do. And uh, what's in my collection? I only have two guitars in my collection right now. At one point, my collection was like 15 guitars. Back when I was selling weed in college and also playing in a band, um, I had a, I had like a bunch of electric guitars, and uh, I had a, I had you know a PRS, I had two Les Pauls, two Fenders, a Gibson three thirty five, I had a Chet Atkins, I had a um, the Brian Setzer Gretsch, uh, I had a, a Schecter, um, not a Schecter, not a Schecter. What's the um, maybe it was a Schecter. Uh, I don't really remember. Uh, now I only have oh I, not two. I have three guitars now. I have a, a Taylor. I sold I sold them all when I was no longer in college and no longer playing in a band. I I, I sold all of my guitars and frankly I forget what I did with all the money. But I but I sold them all. Um, I kind of wish I still had my PRS. I loved the, my PRS um, uh, Swamp Ash McCarty. It was great, great guitar. Uh, the rest of them I don't really miss that much. Uh, I have a Taylor 314 Grand Concert, uh, which is, it's not like a beater because it wasn't like cheap, but it's my just all the time noodling guitar. And it's one of the best guitars. It's, a, it's at the lower end of what Taylor does. Um, but it sounds amazing and it stays in tune like literally for years. Um, I have a very early Alvarez that my uncle acoustic that my uncle gave me as a gift. Um, and it's beautiful and it still has the plastic on the pick guard. It's like 45 years old dreadnought. I never play it, but it's a beautiful piece of, of, of guitar uh, history. And then Misha uh, Mansour from Periphery gave me one of his guitars. Uh, that was a stage and studio used guitar and it's it's the Misha Mansour model and that's hanging on my on the wall here at the lounge I've sadly I've never played it, um, but it looks great hanging on the wall I used to have a big guitar collection, but no longer uh, Christian Pelfrey wants to recommend price wars by Rupert Russell excellent read on how the commodities markets have made the world more chaotic. Okay. Thank you Christian. I'll check that out Terry Boone says uh, my insurance is expiring 
and I need to re-up it. I got some different quotes, but they're coming in close. Any recommendations or good experiences with certain insurance companies? Um, all of my cars, except the Mach-E, are registered with Haggerty uh, Collector Cars. Uh, they don't. They won't insure your regular car. Um, they won't. They wouldn't insure my daily driver, my Mach-E. Um, but. They're great if you have collector cars because they recognize that you can only really drive one at a time and you declare the value of your car. Uh, Grundy also does that. Um, but I, I don't have any other real experiences to share with other companies. Um, my Mach-E is insured with Progressive, but not for any real reason. And it's it's fine. I just ran quotes and it was the cheapest by a little bit. I've never had to file a claim, so I can't talk about their response times or response anything. It just is what it is. Uh, Terry also says, uh, Tesla's continue to expand its supercharger for non-Teslas to France, Netherlands, Norway, UK, Spain, Belgium, and Austria. Uh, more than a few that I mentioned on an earlier episode. Wanted to clear this up. Sounds like they're living, living up to their stated goals and reasoning for doing so. So that, I don't believe that. If they, they're expanding because of an EU directive. And so if their local governments have directed them to open their chargers and there's, there's rumblings that it might be uh, EU-wide universal charging, um, I do not believe for a minute that they will voluntarily give up their competitive advantage in their supercharger network. And I would definitely, um, I would definitely um, uh, 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 not just give them credit for voluntarily doing that. If they were voluntarily doing it, they'd do it in America, where there's no law saying they have to do that. There's a very good reason that every one of these countries they've mentioned is in the EU and not in America. Uh, it's because it's a government mandate. Um, and <laughs> Terry, the second half of your comment is so stupid, I'm not going to read it. That's not, that's not even, that's, I'm not, that would be, if I read the second half of that comment, it would be literal disinformation. Uh, that's not even remotely true. Um, Solitary Hero is considering trying the Porsche driving experience at the PECLA, P-C-L-A, but it's relatively expensive, and according to their website, all their offerings are PDK with the exception of the GT4. Is it worth it to have the GTS, GT3, or Turbo 911 experience in PDK cars only? I mean, it depends on what, here's your goal. I mean, it depends on your goal, Solitary Hero. Do you want to go drive Porsches on track um, or do you want to know what it's like to drive a stick shift Porsche? Um, the uh, uh, the turbo obviously doesn't come in stick. Um, the GT3, it does. And if I'm surprised they don't have a manual, but not entirely surprised. It's for the track at the track. The, 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 the GT3 is better at the PDK anyway. Um, is the question of, is it worth it? And a lot of people ask me, is it worth it regarding a lot of stuff? Um, the, um, I mean, it, if you want to go drive a GT3 or, I mean, driving one with PDK is like, it's not bad. It's a good experience and you're on the track. It's less to think about. And if you want to drive a stick shift car, you could drive a GT4. Um, 
I, 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 I don't know. I mean, if the, the Porsche Experience Center is great, unless your goal is to try a GT3 with stick, in which case you, they can't, you can't do that there right now. And I would maybe check back. I'm sure eventually they'll have a GT3 with a stick. They did before. They have in the past. I think they offer a stick versus PDK experience where you drive the same car. Maybe it's a Carrera S with a stick and the, the PDK. Uh, Alejandro says, opinions on which Porsche GT3 to start out with. Not worried about price, but more practicality of the car itself. 996-997-991. Um, these cars are equally practical. <laughs> There's no difference. Two-seat car, no back seat, front trunk, rear-wheel drive, uh, high-performance tires, Revy naturally aspirated engine, manual gearbox, uh, assuming you get a 991.2. 991.1 is PDK. Uh, there's no difference in practicality. They are the same. So I don't understand the question. Which to start out with? The nicest one you can afford with the best maintenance history you can afford. I mean, that's really it. I wouldn't buy a 991 PDK uh, if it was one of the engine replacement ones unless the price was right. And if the price is right and it's factory engine replacement and you want to drive PDK, there you go. But uh, the practicality is the same. Two-seat car, no back seat, front trunk, rear drive. Um... Curtis uh, Bowman says we should look at Lucky Dog Racing instead of Champ. We haven't, we have not finalized what series we are running in. We are open to different series. One of them is Lucky Dog. One is AER. One is Chump Champ, and it really depends on Bert and Tom's schedules more than anything else. These guys tour and making money um, is is whatever uh, is important. So uh, it really depends on where the races are, when the races are, and how we can get in with their um, with this with their schedule. but um, you know, uh, but thanks for letting us know and and lucky dog is on the list. Uh, Prashan spun out my super clean Miata and fucked up the back wheel. Now that it's no longer perfect, I'm gonna start tracking it. Well, you can fix a wheel, and the rest car, will, the rest of the car will be mint. But sure, track it. Uh, David Zumat, did Audi bring out an old RS3 for us to compare to the new one? They did not. Uh, it's nice when companies do that, but they they didn't. Daniel Berman, uh, a friend of mine, though probably not a friend anymore, did twelve grand in mechanical and physical damage to my 135i while I was out of town. Fuck me. He took the car without permission, but struggles to understand why I'm so upset. Well, that's crazy. Uh, he is 19 years old, but comes from near infinite money, so will probably pay. Am I crazy for letting this affect me so much? This is the first car I've ever owned, spent all of high school saving for it, and as a result, take great care of it. Um, I think you have every right to be mad. Um and I think your description of someone coming from infinite money not wondering why you're so mad is pretty spot on based on my experience from people with infinite money. Um, I think that super sucks. Uh, that, that super sucks. They took You took your car without permission. Um, 
I mean, there's a whole lot more there. Um, um, I mean, if he took your car without permission, he stole it. <laughs> he stole your car. Um, and uh, but 135i with 12 grand, I mean, that's probably almost totaled. Um, I'd be I'd be surprised if that wasn't almost totaled, if not totaled. But um, but yeah, that's that's not somebody I would be friends with. I would make sure that they take responsibility financially for that car, get it get it fixed or replaced, and then I would I would probably not um, not be friends with that person anymore because that person does not actually respect you for them to take your car crash it and then according to you be be perturbed as to why you're upset i think it's pretty obvious why you should be upset it super sucks um this is a very long this is a very long question um jordan why uh what is your ladder of the best new production hpde cars at different price points Criteria being performance, fun, reliability, durability, cost of maintenance, cost of consumables. I mean, it would to answer this question, just so you know, Jordan, I would have to literally sit down for like an hour and answer this. Like, this is like, there's levels, there's, there's so many cars, there's so many factors you want to factor in. There's the fact that MSRP doesn't really mean anything right now. Um, I also don't know what every car's MSRP is offhand. Um, but I'll evaluate your list. $30,000 uh, Subaru uh, 80, BRZ, Toyota 86. Sure. And also, this list completely ignores the fact that if what you really want is a track day car, a used car, well, your money will go way further. Twenty-five grand will get you a C5 Z06 with Hoosiers, brakes, and coilovers, you're you're running with Ferraris on track. Forget the fucking '86. So, uh, and I mean, I don't know how many people are going to buy a brand new showroom car and go for purposes of going straight to the track. But okay, the '86 is probably the most fun car you can buy for thirty thousand bucks. As far as I know, it's pretty durable. Consumables will be relatively low because it has reasonably small tires. Uh, 45k Camaro SS1 LE. Sure, that's not a bad, not a bad one. Uh, 45,000. I mean, yeah, if you need to spend 49.9 to get into a Z, and on track, the 1LE Camaro will definitely walk away from the Z. That's a very balanced package. Um, has a lot of cooling. Um, you can run it hard on a hot day, and it will take it. And I don't love Camaros, but it's hard to argue with the performance of that for 40, 45K. Um, if you can get one for 45K, and maybe because Camaros aren't cool right now, uh, they're at the bottom of the cool pile right now, maybe you can get one for 45K. I don't know about ADM on any of this shit. Then he goes to 70K for a C8 Z51. Uh I don't think in any realistic scenario you're getting a C8 Z51 for 70K. I think a C8 Z51 with any other kind of options on it at all is probably knocking on the door of 85 at this point. So I think your 70K price is, is low. 
Um, 70 will get you into an RS3 that I just drove. It'll get you into a, K- a Cayman S or Boxster S, uh, which is which is phenomenal. Barely, but it will. Um, it'll get you into um, a, you know, uh, 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 it'll get you into a, a Supra or with tires or a, uh, an, an, an M- a 240i M. Um, BMW with some tires that that would be a, a lovely package. Um, you know, you don't you, there's no you don't have a ninety thousand dollar ladder here, but for ninety thousand is where I'd put the C eight Z fifty one, and I'd probably um, be on like the Shelby or the maybe maybe you can get a, a Camaro ZL one um, for seventy k. Maybe I, I don't know what the price is right now of those cars, but um, one twenty. Cayman GT4, yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. Although there's obviously a ADM going on, and no one's getting a, a new a new GT4 for 120 grand unless you got the hookup. Um, same thing. He's got 160k for the GT3. GT3s are two hundred thousand dollar cars. No, they're not, and that's not even because you're not getting a base one. You're getting you're getting options, and then there's ADM, so they're in the middle in the middle twos. Um, honestly, if you're talking about track, if you if you don't I'd buy a race car with a trailer and tow it with a my everyday SUV to the track. Um, you know, I wouldn't buy brand new street cars and and you know brand new street cars, brand new supercars for purposes of taking to the track. I just wouldn't. Um, but um, and it would take me hours and hours to to come up with with my own list given all those criteria. The cars themselves are are um, fine, but uh, and they're they're all good cars and they'll all handle track work just fine. But I think your pricing is is off in, in from what the real world pricing is. Crandy says, what would I consider the most meaningful car experience you've had to date? The most meaningful car experience. Very difficult to to go to one and also to to say the most meaningful um i mean you know by surprising my wife with a pow or fixing the delica for her birthday saving for and and buying the the kuntosh and then using it um being hired by Road and Track magazine, which I grew up reading as to be the guy who writes about supercars. Um, you know, my my first time wheel to wheel racing in Lemons and realizing immediately how dumb fake endurance highway racing is like gumball and bull run that all you have to do is one wheel to wheel race in a cheap car racing series and realize how much more interesting and rewarding that is than any of those silly road rallies. So I couldn't boil it to one. Um, but, but there's, there's some good examples of very meaningful car experiences that, uh, I've had. Uh, James Cowley says, uh, my Subaru will be out of warranty. Uh, in 10,000 miles at 100,000 miles. I hope to be to keep it running for as long as possible. And now that voiding the warranty is not a concern, what mods would you do to the engine or powertrain for increasing service life? I mean, I wouldn't do any mods. I mean, cooling and intake improvements. I, I don't, I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't do that. Um, 
I would just do the factory recommended maintenance. That's it. We, we Modding for reliability, unless you're doing something particularly abusive like racing it, you don't need to mod for reliability. You need to not cheap out on the basics. Use the factory recommended oil. Use the factory recommended filters. You don't buy the generic shitty version of stuff. Buy the actual Subaru genuine part. Um, I mean, that's that's really it. I, I don't. I don't. I mean, putting in like a a, a bigger radiator now would possibly be counterproductive. I mean, it might somehow be too effective. Uh, uh, maybe it makes it run at a less than ideal temperature. Um, I would just make sure to. To, to not cheap out on the factory grade service. And I, in my opinion, that's how to keep a car running longer. Um, using cheaper stuff, whether it's fluids, filters, plugs, wires, uh, than whatever the factory recommends is one way to have problems over and over. Um, but I would just I would just keep keep maintaining it, you know that, that's it. And uh, yeah, let's see. Joe Curran, uh, I love my 2021 Land Cruiser daily, but it's now worth 15k more than I paid, and it gets 13 miles per gallon. Thinking about trading it for a Highlander hybrid or similar. Have a dedicated off-roader and a classic car. Can't decide what to do. Well, if you can pocket the 15k, and to get into a Highlander hybrid. Is there's no ADM on that? I mean, I haven't looked in a while, but you know, when Doug was here, we were talking about the fucking Rav Four hybrids being like crazy ADM. So if you get 15k more than you paid, but then you got to pay 15k over to get a Highlander hybrid, well, there's all your profit. If you have a dedicated off-roader and a classic car, I mean, I don't know about the classic car, but if you have a dedicated off-roader, you probably don't need the Land Cruiser's off-roading capability. Um, I mean, a Highlander Hybrid, believe it or not, is a pretty nice car. My dad has a Highlander at our uh, our vacation house in South Carolina, and it's really nice. Um, it's fucking comfortable. It's practical. It drives really good. Um, it has this shelf across the dashboard that I really like, throwing my phone on there. Um, but just don't throw away your profit by buying something else at a with ADM on it. If you can get the Hybrid... For sticker, you know, a, a daily driver crossover that'll get better fuel economy, sure. You had your Land Cruiser for a year or two and get out of it for a profit? I mean, that's great. Land Cruisers are awesome, but they're not, like, mind-blowingly so. So, you know, if you can get your money, get your money. Absolutely get your money. But just don't give that money back to the uh, uh, dealer in ADM for, you know, another uh, another car. Well, that's the end of our let me just re I'll refresh the Patreon and see if there's any more any more questions, but I don't think so. I think that's the end. I think we have reached the end. Um so this will go up and uh Zach and I are uh going to take a break. Uh we're taking one week off. Oh, hang on a second. Uh, nope, sorry, that's the wrong post. Uh, wait. Uh, yeah, that's all. That's all. Um, I'm going to Uruguay 
four hours outside of Montevideo. Not even to Montevideo, outside that motherfucker. Uh, I, I will be, you know, in and out of contact. Um, we'll have no content the week of... Actually, that's not true. We'll have one video. The RS3 embargo is June 1st. That's going to be our only bit of content for that week. And uh, we will see you um, the following week back with two videos and uh, two podcasts. Thank you to our patrons for being patrons, for uh, supporting the show financially. We certainly appreciate that. Happy Memorial Day to uh, all of you guys. I hope you get some outside time. Enjoy yourselves. Thank you for all your questions. And um, I'll see everybody soon. Thanks for listening. Bye.